Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to be with you today. I'm so happy that you chose to spend an hour of your Sunday morning here with this gospel family. And I hope that you're blessed as a result of being here today. I hope that you are challenged as a result of being here today. And I hope that your faith is stirred and increased as a result of being here. My name is Joey. If you're a guest with us, thank you for coming. We uh, are really excited about your presence here. We're starting a brand new vision series today. It is the year 2020, and we were just suckers for the phrase 2020 vision. So uh, we're going to be starting the first of three talks on that uh, starting here today. So you came at a really great time, and I hope that uh, today blesses you. The leadership guru, Simon Sinek, says the key to vision for any organization is to start with your why. To start with your question of why. So why do we exist? Well, we sang about it. We've already talked about it. Our why is simply the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are not a social club. We didn't come here to entertain you. We didn't come here because we thought you needed something to do with your Sunday mornings. We started this church, our why was the person and work of Jesus Christ. His life was so meaningful that it literally changed the course of history. All of human history is dated on the birth of this Jesus Christ, and it's for Him that we gather. He is our why. And so Cynic's uh, formula of golden circle starts with the why, it goes out to the who, to the how, and then to the what. So long before we start talking about what we do as a people, we're going to start with our why of Jesus. And today in particular, we're going to talk about our who. Who is it that God has called us to be as a people? Uh, And that's what we're going to be sharing, uh, the topic of identity. So who have we been called to be? When Sindel and I planted this church in 2013, we didn't just want to gather up a bunch of folks for the sake of having another church in Conway. In fact, it was our first semester on campus that we painted a slogan on our wall on our campus offices and it said this, Conway doesn't need a new definition of church, but rather a demonstration of the church. Let me say that again. Conway doesn't need a new definition of the church, but rather a demonstration of the church. So how did the church begin? We went back to the beginning of Scripture to see what is going on here. What happened to these early followers of Christ, and how did they live in the wake of Jesus' life and ministry? And what we have in Acts chapter 2 is a beautiful description Of this early church. Now, when we say the name church or the word church, I want you to know we're not referring to the building that we're sitting in. The church is not brick and mortar. However, all over the city, we have, uh, you might be misled by seeing the name church on a building. The church is not the facility, the church is the collective followers of Jesus. We are the church. At its most micro level, You are the the basic, uh, fundamental component of the church. And when we gather together, we are not coming to church, but rather we are the church. See, church is a word of identity. It's a word of action. It is a word that describes who we are and what we do. 
And Acts is the story of the early church after Jesus lived and died and was resurrected. So let's start in Acts 2 and 38. And Peter, one of the early followers of Jesus, said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So you see, the church started with the good news of Jesus. It was Jesus' life, death, and burial, and subsequent resurrection that resulted in the formulation of the church. After Jesus finished his work on the earth, his life and public ministry, Scripture says that he ascended to the heavens and that he was seated at the right hand of God. I love being done with a project, don't you? Anybody else love that feeling of gratification? You've got this house project that you've been dreading or a work project or some creative project. And then when you finish, it's just this collective sigh of relief, right? You know what I'm talking about? The beautiful thing about what Jesus did is when he finished, he sat down. When he did his work at the cross, he was seated at the right hand of the Father, But God didn't leave us comfortless. He sent His Spirit as a guide for our lives until that day He comes back to get us. And the church was built on that concept. These early followers of Jesus gathered themselves and there were some very defining actions to their lives. I want you to start in verse 42 and let's look at some of these actions. 42, Acts 2 and 42 says, They, this early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This was a spiritual group of people. They were basing their lives on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, who appeared in the New Testament, and lived and walked on this earth. Historians note the life of this person of Jesus, secular historians. He was a real person. And this tribe of people, his followers, begin to gather themselves after his death and they listened to the apostles' teaching and they fellowshiped. They spent time together to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So the, the phrase that we use here for verse 42, they were a gospel-driven group of people. They were gospel-driven. That is our first family value with this city church family, but it's also a personal value for us individually. What drives you? I hope today it's the gospel of Jesus, the good news. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Not only were these a gospel-driven people, but 43 says that they were a spirit-led people. Spirit-led people. We're all following something, aren't we? Maybe it's the latest fad. Maybe it's something literal that you're following on social media. You're modeling the the way you choose your clothes based off of the way a celebrity may be dressed. Or you're following a certain person's teachings. You're all following something, whether we know it or not. To to, To follow the Spirit means that we are listening and trusting to the leadership of our Lord for our daily provision. 
It's what it means to be a spirit-led person. And the early church was spirit-led. Verse 44 says, And all who believed were to gather and had all things in common. I want you to highlight that in your Bible app on your phone or if you have a pen in your Bible, circle that word. They were together and had all things in common. Our third value as a family, both personally and corporately, that is church-wide, is the word together. We value togetherness. Christianity was never meant to be a solo sport. Golf is a solo sport. Christianity is a team sport. Christianity is football. Christianity is basketball. And if you've ever played golf, you know that that's probably not from Jesus anyway. Because that sport, that just makes you crazy real quick. But Christianity is a team sport. It was made to be lived out in the company of other believers. That is what Jesus would have his church to be. 46. Let's go to 45 rather. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So these were a gospel driven people. These were a spirit led people. They were a together people. But they were also a generous people. You see what's happening in the passage there? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They weren't just taking care of themselves, out for number one, but they were caring for others. They were extending compassion to those others, not only who were in the family, but those who were outside of the family. Let me just say this to us. God wants us to be a people who show compassion to one another. When someone in our family is hurting, we ought to hurt together. When someone in our family is celebrating, we ought to celebrate together. When someone is grieving, we ought to grieve together. Scripture says in one of Paul's writings that we are to bear one another's burdens. I like to think of an illustration when we were, when my wife and I were living uh, in a uh, subdivision called uh, Smoking Oaks here in Conway. And uh, if you've ever driven through Smoking Oaks, if you know where there's just huge trees everywhere. And uh, the leaves are like knee deep this time of year. It's, it's, it's wild. So we were moving a kid's playground. And uh, my, my kids, we, we, we were moved into this house. We bought a playground off of Craigslist in, uh, in, yeah, one of those giant wooden, because I didn't want to assemble it. And I was like, if I buy it used, then someone already put it together. Because I've heard the horror stories from the dads who try to build the playgrounds. It never goes well. If you've ever built a playground, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I had the bright idea, I'm going to buy it off Craigslist. What I didn't factor is how I was going to move this thing or how heavy it might be. Now I know why it was only $150 off of Craigslist. Because it would have been the equivalent of moving a small house trailer, except it didn't have wheels. And so I called my six buddies with strong backs, and I said, hey, I'm going to need help moving this thing. And so we broke it down into three pieces. We pulled the little swing section off. We pulled the monkey bars off. But there was one problem. The centerpiece still remained. I have no idea 
how much this thing weighed, all I can tell you is that it took everything that six men actually had, everything we had. The problem was in this wooded neighborhood, there was already a fence. It was so big that we had to pass it over the fence to get it in the backyard. It's a wonder that no one died in this process. So as we were carrying this thing, it was, gave me this idea of bearing one, another, one another's burdens. Along our own lines, none of us could have handled this. But the six of us together were actually able to pass it over a fence and move it into a backyard with no injuries. We ought to be shouldering the weight of our cares together. You know what that requires? It requires you sharing your burdens. You having the courage to speak your burdens to other people. There are many people right here in this room who are carrying things that others know nothing about. Let me tell you good news. You weren't meant to carry that alone. And some of you live under the fear of judgment if I were to share. But let me tell you, the church is designed to be God's safe harbor a place we can open up and share those deep burdens and others not will do, be repulsed because they have their own list too. They've probably just been waiting for you to break the ice. We'll be happy to come with you and to shoulder the weight of that burden. We are called to be together. But also, we are called to be a generous people. They were sharing their possessions. They sold the excess and gave to those that had need. I believe that this was not only inside the church, but they were also generous with their, their finances, their time, and their energy outside of the church family. They were caring for people. And as they were, this early church was a lighthouse to the community. You know, I think that this was so powerful the way the early church lived, that people were just dying to be a part of it. Scripture says 3,000 souls were added. You know, in our culture, many folks are starving for community. Maybe they've heard the message of Christ before, but they long to be loved and received by others, to know others who will bear their weight with them, because life is hard. But what I've found is when we offer community, Loving, caring community to others, it often opens the door to share the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus. Many times we will never get to the heart of a person until we meet the needs of their hands. And so how can you be used as a tool? This body was a generous body. I was thinking of this this morning as I was prepping. And uh, I, I came across uh, a Christmas present. So uh, I was getting ready and I noticed the cards off to my left. And these are uh, four sports cards that my son got me uh, for Christmas this year. He was so excited. He had an envelope and it had these four cards. And then it had a letter. And the letter was written, To Daddy, to you're the best dad in the world. Uh, thank you for being my dad. I'm so happy God was good to me to give you me as, you da as, as my dad. He was just going on and on. And, and I looked at these cards, and it was, uh, if this matters anything to you, it's Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Kobe Bryant, Mark McGuire, and Will Fuller. So we have spanned uh, three major sports in these four cards. This is how my family works. And uh, I asked my son this morning, because he noticed I had the cards laying with me on the way here, 
And uh, I, I had an idea. I thought I knew the answer, but I wanted to hear him say it. I said, son, why did you choose these four cards? Because when I looked, these are all four athletes that we've talked about that I enjoy watching. I said, why did you choose these four? And he said, dad, you remember when, when you gave me all those cards last year for my birthday? Yes, son, I remember that. He said, I, I went through those cards and I carefully picked which ones I thought you would like the most. He said, I wanted to give you my best cards. Now let me ask you this question. When my son gave me these for Christmas, do you think I needed these four cards? Let me remind you, I gave him these cards a year earlier. Do you think I needed these? If I wanted these cards, I could get on Amazon and buy them. But do you know how I felt when I began to thumb through them? And I realized that these had been hand-selected with care from my son because he knew they would be meaningful to me. God doesn't need your generosity. Let me say that again. God doesn't need your generosity. God doesn't need anything from you. God already owns it all. He already has it all. Scripture says that he owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills thereon. So why would we be generous what we have? When I received these cards, my son brought me glory. I had a feeling of being cared for and honored by a person that I deeply, deeply, deeply cherish. And when we worship by giving of our time, energy, and money, we exemplify the Father. We lift up our God in heaven, bringing honor and glory to His name with our generosity, not because He needs it, but because He knows the best thing for us is to give it back to Him. You can't give anything to others that God hasn't already given to you. It's all a gift. We're temporary stewards. They were a generous people. This was a mark, a sign of the early church. And we want this to be a mark or a sign of City Church here in Conway, Arkansas. When people see us, we want them to say, they are a people that are driven by the gospel. There are people who are led by the Spirit. They are a people who practice togetherness. And they are a generous people. I'm reminded of uh, just being in the lobby a few moments ago and talking to my friend Shane. Shane helped coordinate efforts to feed on, I think it was over 200 people in downtown Conway by providing a free meal this fall. That is generosity at its finest. And we are going to be a people who are known for that. I want you to look at verse 46. This is the byproduct of the traits that we've already listed. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. Press pause there. I want this to be my life. I want to say that again. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. What a great descriptor of a group of people, right? To eat and enjoy their food with gladness. To praise God and have favor with all the people. What better way to spend a life? Can you think of a better way to spend a life than that? I can't. That sounds like a very satisfying way to spend our limited time that we have on earth together. They were a glad people. Notice I didn't say that they were happy all the time. 
but they were filled with joy. And look at the byproduct. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, I think that this list has a chronology attached to it. Let me explain. They started with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. If we build on anything other than his good news, we're building a house on sinking sand. Our lives and our homes will be wrecked when the storms of life come. But if we build on Jesus, it doesn't matter the size of the storm because of the size of our Savior. Nothing can tear us down. Not when we build on Jesus. When we follow the leadership of His Spirit, we are signing up for something that is greater than ourselves. When you are Spirit-led, you ought to be different today than you were a year ago. If you are the same today than you were six months ago, you're not being led by the Spirit. You see, being led by the Spirit causes us to grow. When you take a child to the doctor's office, what's the very first thing they do? Height and weight, after the pile of paperwork, by the way. Height and weight. Why do they do height and weight? Because they want to make sure that the baby is growing. Why? Because healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. The same is true spiritually. If we are healthy individuals in Christ, we are growing. Now, our bodies may fade. But our inner man, our inner woman is being renewed day by day. See, we're getting stronger. We're getting healthier as we are led by the Spirit. As we're spending time in His Word. As we're spending time in prayer. As we're spending time with the community of people around us. Our faith ought to be growing. You're going to leave today stirred and your faith is going to be strengthened today as a result of singing hearing the word of God communing with other believers you will be different when you left than you were when you came in why because God is constantly stirring through the work of his spirit the faith of his people you are growing and joy will follow so gospel driven and as we work down through being spirit led as we are together as we are generous guess what the natural flow will produce joy. I didn't say life would be easy. I said you will experience joy in the wake of life, in the good things of life. Now, I want to discuss some antonyms of these phrases to help us wrap our minds around it. What's the opposite of being gospel-driven? Uh, I chose self-reliant. Self-reliant. Hey, I can do it my own way. I don't need God to guide me. I've got this all by myself. What's the result of that? I think the result of relying on self is that it can often lead us anxious, leave us anxious and afraid. When we rely on self, we become anxious and afraid when our efforts at self-reliance begin to fade over time. How about the opposite to being spirit-led? Well, I think it's being flesh-led. Or in another way of saying that is driven by our fleshly desires. So instead of being led by the Spirit, I'm just going to wake up every day. If I'm not being led by the Spirit, I'm going to say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I feel like doing. I'm going to be around who I want to be around. I'm going to spend my money on what I feel like spending my money. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to say what I want to say and no one's going to tell me any different. What's the result of that? I believe that that leaves us sad and lonely. Because we ultimately push away from the people that matter in our life. Because we're not being led by the Spirit. We're being led by our own feelings. The opposite of being together is to be isolated. And all of us have been isolated at some point in our life. And what's the product of being isolated? We become bitter. 
We just become bitter. We begin to be cynical. We don't need anybody. I've got here by myself. I didn't need you before. Why would I need you now? And so we become bitter and cynical. What's the opposite of generous? Simply greedy. When we're not practicing generosity by opening up our hands, what we're doing is we're hoarding what we have, we're clenching our fists, and we become greedy people. And greedy people are not happy people. Greedy people often become sad people. And they begin to slander others and gossip about others because they don't need anybody else. Again, there's that spirit of self-reliance. I'm going to do things on my own. What is mine is mine. You can't touch it. And greedy people become sad people over time. The opposite of joy-filled is simply being angry. When we're not following God's process of being His people and living as He intended, we become angry people. And what characterizes angry people is a spirit of complaining. Just complaining. You ever found yourself there? Just mad at the world. It don't matter. It don't matter if it's the weather. It don't matter if it's the news. It doesn't matter if it's your coworkers, or if it's your family, or it's something spilled on the carpet. You're just mad about everything all the time. So here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to take a self-assessment this morning. If you have notes or pen and paper or maybe a notepad on your device, I'm going to ask you to pull that out for just a moment. I don't want you to look at anyone else's. This is, between, this is for you, and this is between you and God, no one else. You're not going to submit these after. You don't, even want to talk, you don't even have to talk about this at lunch after. I just want to do a healthy self-assessment of where we are in these categories. So as we work through, I want you to give yourself a one through a five. The five means that this is entirely true of me. One being that this is not true of me. Okay, three somewhere in the middle, neutral. Okay, you can pick two, four, whatever. The first one, gospel-driven. Category one, gospel-driven. My decisions, this is the explanation of gospel-driven. My decisions regarding work, family, money, and how I spend my time are based on my relationship with Jesus Christ. My decisions about work, family, money, and how I spend my time are based on my relationship with Jesus. One, if this is not true. Five, if this is entirely true. Three, if it's somewhere in the middle. Two, four, however you want to score it there. Second category is spirit-led. Our value number two. Spirit-led meaning I am listening and trusting that still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. I spend time with the Lord regularly through both prayer and the reading of Scripture, in order to continue to discern the leadership of the Lord. One through five, Spirit-led. Third, we have together. Here's the explanation. Together being, I regularly engage in biblically-based community in order to grow my relationship with the Lord. I allow others to speak into my life, get this, even though it might be difficult to hear the truth at times. And I speak confidently into the lives of others that God has placed in my life for their own glory and the good of God. Their own good and God's glory. So together, one through five. Fourth, generous. Generous being, I live with open hands knowing that all good things come from the Father. 
and I am merely a steward of the resources that he has entrusted to my temporary care. I give regularly of my time, energy, and money. One through five, generous. And lastly, joy-filled. I spend my moments with joyful gratitude that Jesus is the is good and that he has allowed both the bad and the good as tokens of his grace in my life. I'll say that again. Joy-filled, one through five. I spend my moments with joyful gratitude that Jesus is good and that he has allowed both the bad and the good things as tokens of his grace in my life. Okay, that's our five. Now add up your scores. Double-click the home button and pull up your calculator if you need to. And we're going to go over some scores. If you scored a 25, you obviously think you are Jesus and need to repent. Okay. (laughs) So there's that. Uh, 20 or above, you're either self-unaware or you are actually living consistently like the early church. And only uh, God knows the difference. And 15 through 20, you're on a great track to experiencing joy as you continue to learn to walk with the Lord. 10 through 14, congrats, you're a work in progress like everyone else. 5 to 9, I'm praying that this study will be a big step on your journey of faith. And if you scored from 1 to 4, We are really glad that you're here. So let me ask you this. In light of that quick self-assessment, I want to ask you three things. And I want you to continue to write notes as the Lord leads you. What behaviors should you stop? What behaviors should you stop? As you hear this message today, what has God brought to mind that you just need to quit? Honestly, for me, it's complaining. There are times in my life where I complain. I just need to stop complaining. I need to enjoy the goodness of God and realize that even the bad stuff is a gift of His grace. What behaviors should I stop? Second, what behaviors should I sustain or keep going? As we've worked through this list, what, what have you noticed? Hey, I, I've experienced that. God's allowed this, and what should you keep doing in this new year? And then lastly, what behavior should I start? As we've talked today, and God has brought, no doubt, things to your mind, what is something that you need to leave this message and begin in this new year as you continue on your walk with the Lord? So in closing... I want each of us to know that Jesus' grace is available to all of us this morning. Regardless of what we scored ourselves on this little assessment, God's grace is bigger. Jesus does not rank our goodness. Praise God for that. Jesus doesn't rank our goodness. Nor does such scores represent a good standing before God. There's nothing you can do to add to what God already thinks about you. 
It's only by his sacrifice that you and I can be made holy and righteous. It is not by our good works. Because if it was, we'd boast. Thank you, God. I want you to remember how we started our time together today. Remember us talking about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God because the work was finished? He sat down because he was done. And you can't add by your good works any value to what's already been completed. In fact, all of your good works can be added up and will bring zero additional value to the finished work of our King. Nothing you do can add to what God has done through Jesus. But I want you to know this. Your good work is not in vain. God uses those works to help others come to know that joy-filled life that follows us when we follow Him. And that's really good news. God not only wants to do a work in you in this new year, but God actually wants to allow you to be a part of that redemptive process in the lives of other people. We serve a really good God. So today I would ask that you would stand and pray with me. And I just want, I just want us to open our hands. If you would, maybe right where you're at, if you feel comfortable, just open your hands out in front of you. I find that this is a very helpful posture as I am bringing my petitions to the Lord. Just open our hands. And by opening our hands, we're just signifying, God, that it's all yours. Our lives are yours. Our worries are yours. Our cares are yours. God, we're just giving it to you. So just as you sit there, I want you to just breathe for a moment. Breathe deeply. Breathe a few times deeply in, out. And as God brings cares and worries to your mind, as I know He will and is, would you give those to Him? Some of us have been carrying this for a long time. Jesus is asking you to lay that down today. You know who you are. You know what it is. Just lay it down at his feet. Is it concerns about work? Is it concerns about family? Is it financial concerns? Just give it to him. He'll gladly receive it. God, we love you. And we come to you today into your throne room that you sit at the right hand of the Father. We come into that space and we lay down our cares and our concerns at your feet. Your shoulders are big enough to carry them because you've already done it. You proved that once. And so we give it to you. And we know you'll receive it. Just like a father receives gifts and burdens from his children that he, he deeply loves. 
thank you for meeting us here, Father. And now with our open hands, would you just, would you place some things back in our open hands, God? Would you help us to be driven by the good news of your finished work of your only son, Jesus? Would you help us to listen to that still, small voice as we pause throughout our day, as we pray and as we read? Would you help us to love others and be together? Maybe for some, even in this, in this moment, I'm sensing that for some it means forgiving someone. There may be people in this room right now, God, there are people in this room that need to ask for forgiveness and to extend forgiveness so that we can experience togetherness. God, for others, as we stand with open hands, Lord, will you teach us to be generous as you have been generous? And Lord, finally, help us to live with the joy that you intended for us to live with, God. Reasonable happiness in a broken world. Father, thank you for meeting us. May these words that we sing be our small but meaningful gifts back to you. Our best, God, to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.